Hi, I'm Cam, and this is a special edition of Translating ADHD. This week, I speak with ADHD parent, advocate, and coach, Rashida Perry-Jones. Rashida is a Black woman striving to bring change to communities of color. She brings a message of hope, courage, and resiliency in sharing stories of raising her own ADHD child and bringing education and normalizing mental health to the greater Philadelphia region. Before we get started, I'd like to make a couple of announcements. If you like what we're doing on the podcast, you can join our Discord group, and you just go to translatingadhd.com. And in the upper right-hand corner, click on the Patreon link. And for five bucks, you get Shelly, you get Cam, and you get a community of dedicated translators. It's the best deal out there, people. Secondly, we've got a group coaching effort. It's called Project X. Project X is that thing that only matters to you. It's that thing that's been sitting there, and it's more than just a project. It defines who you are and who you may be becoming. So if you're interested in that, again, back to the website, group coaching link, click on that. There's a form to fill out. If you struggle with the form, let us know. We can help you out with that. That's starting in late March. And if you're a European or UK or Australian or some other time zone that doesn't work for the 9 p.m. class, we're going to come up with another class that's more conducive to your time zone. All right. So here's my talk with Rashida. Hi, this is Cam. And this week, we're going to move away from our regular programming to address something that really matters to us. Back last summer, summer of 2020, we made a commitment to really make anti-racism a part of the translating ADHD culture. And a part of that is to amplify voices of our Black colleagues doing great work in ADHD spaces. So we'd like to do this on a quarterly basis. And today I'm talking with Rashida Perry-Jones. Rashida is a parent educator, an advocate. She is involved with CHAD. CHAD is the National Advocacy Group, Children and Adults with ADHD. And so she's integral in the Philadelphia chapter. She is the founding coordinator of Philadelphia CHAD. And also she's a board member of National CHAD. CHAD is something that's very special. It is a lobbying group. It is focusing on education, getting the word out about ADHD because the education is so important and there's so much misinformation out there about ADHD. And so CHAD has been diligently doing work over years to really get accurate information out to parents, out to teachers and educators and also out to practitioners, whether they be therapists, MDs, psychologists, or coaches. So Rashida, can you say a little bit more about your work as a parent educator and an advocate? Sure. So as an ADHD parent educator and also a certified parent trainer through CHAD, I've worked with parents largely in workshop settings to teach different types of tools and tactics to help them kind of manage their household when they're experiencing challenges raising their children with ADHD. So in that work, I come across lots of different parents, 
who oftentimes seem so exasperated and just overwhelmed because of a diagnosis they've received or just because their child may be exhibiting some of the symptoms of ADHD. They may not have actually gone and gotten a child diagnosed, but you know they're still trying to manage their household and help their child. So how does... How does uh, ADHD, like again, sort of like um, bullet point for me, the ways that, you know, especially like undiagnosed ADHD, how it can kind of create um, challenge in a family dynamic? How, how does that play out typically? Yeah, it, it can be it can it can be incredibly challenging. Um, I think first, if you don't have the diagnosis and know something's going on and don't know you know, what that is. So I always encourage parents to, you know, go and seek a diagnosis so they'll know if their child in, it does in fact have ADHD. Mm. Um, what I do find in, in working with uh, particularly black and brown parents and in black and brown communities, there is that hesitation to go and get that child or their child or the family member diagnosed because there's a concern that their child may be labeled or and experience additional, you know, racial discrimination because that child is labeled as having um, ADHD. But I do think it's important to know so that then you'll know, you know, how do I proceed forward? And ADHD is one of those things when, when we don't have that answer, we fill in the blank with some really not wonderful reasons for this behavior. You have this smart child with obvious potential, and they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. It's a lack of task integrity. It's a lack of, you know, please go do this. And they don't. And then the human brain just makes up why we try to fill in that blank of why is it they're not being successful? And then we go to lazy, stupid, crazy type stuff, just to name the book title from Kate Kelly. I want to go back to your own experience with ADHD and it was through your own parenting and your own child, Asana. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So how did you come to learn about ADHD yourself as a parent? Well, I actually first learned about it. A friend of mine had a daughter that I noticed was very, very creative, very smart, but often having serious difficulty in school. And from my working with her, just doing homework, I would notice that at times she would kind of just go off a little bit while we were, you know, talking or while we were engaged in something. That sounds like me. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. Go ahead. I, I interrupted, but yeah. That's fine. That's what would happen. And then I would encourage her to, you know, come back. But she was doing that in school. And from that I started finding out or trying to do my own research about what could be going on. Eventually her family did have her evaluated and she had ADHD. So then when my daughter came along and I started seeing the difficulty and she was kind of like this engine that was revving all the time. She had difficulty sitting still. There was some challenges and following, particularly if you have several commands at one time, following those. So I started thinking, hmm, this may be ADHD. And in the school also, there were some concerns because sometimes she may not have followed the directions immediately. Or sometimes she might get up and run out into the hallway and run up and down the hallway sometimes. 
which could be distracting to other students. As you're talking right now, I'm watching you, and there's a big smile on your face as you're relaying this story about the challenge. Yeah. And that's, I think a lot of parents would kind of be like exasperated or like, ah, frustrated. And what I notice about you and what I know about you is your positivity, your outlook. And it was in your book, your book on raising Hasana, Mm -hmm. right? The Summer Adventures book that's on Amazon, and we'll put it in as a link. But I noticed just your approach was positive through the book as you tell stories. That's really interesting to me is how you can go in and look at this dilemma, but also stay positive. Am I reading that right? It's sort of like you're able to put this in a way or see it in a way that we're going to address this. We're going to find a way through and stay positive. Right. And it is an approach that I use. But the other thing is, it is what it is. So do you make lemonade? This is what happens. So this is the behavior. So what I need to do is accept what's going on and try to find the beauty in it. I mean, I just try to find the positive and the beauty in everything. And the approach to parenting with Asana, you know, I tried to do the same thing. And I started writing the book and it started out really as a blog because it was cathartic for me because I just wanted to get it out, some of the challenges. But I also wanted other parents to know there are different approaches we can take to make things a bit more manageable and to help our children. So I turned that blog into a book and was hoping that other parents could read it, pick it up and find some different jewels in it and different ways to look at it instead of, you know, everybody kind of condemning it. And it's so exasperated. Not that, you know, we didn't have those. We did have them. We had those days. I used to call it morning mania. And it'd be like in the morning. (laughs) (laughs) But once you know what it is, it's like, okay, Rashida. Okay, everyone. It's this morning mania. Let's try not to get sucked into morning mania today. And sometimes we did and sometimes we didn't, but we started learning how not to get as sucked into it. Yeah, I love that. That's one of my favorite statements of it is what it is. And you're linking that to acceptance, to accept what is going on. So then from here, we can move forward and address it. Yes. As opposed to, oh, you know, maybe I didn't pay enough attention to them, or maybe I didn't do X, or maybe I I shouldn't have had that glass of wine at month five of my pregnancy, right? (laughs) (laughs) I also like find the beauty because it's very easy to get pulled off to the challenge. And so finding the beauty, I'm curious about what you said, I've always done that. Okay, where does that come from? In the sense of how did you come to that, to focus on the beauty and finding the beauty? I think that was a lesson that my mother helped teach me. She really was big on acceptance. Okay, Rashida, this is the horrible thing that might have happened, right? So what are you going to do next? What have you learned from this? Can you see any positive kernels in it? And she kind of trained me to start thinking, not just of the bad things, but the opposite. Look at it in a different way. And that just helped me throughout my life to do that. And as I got older, not that I, you know, there are times that I have challenges and depression, but I try to have that ability to say, okay, Rashida, you can choose how you react to this. You can choose where you go from here. And I lost my mother at an early age, like when I was in my mid 
20s. I had to, you can choose how you're going to deal with this. And that acceptance and in dealing with it, I had conversations with my mother. And it led me to really understanding the traditional African practice, you know, honoring and keeping engaged with your ancestors, which is something that continues to strengthen me. And although, you know, I really wish she was here in the physical, I really know that she's always around me and spiritually too. Mm, love that. And I'm really appreciating the, you know, I say on the podcast all the time that ADHD is a cause and effect breakdown and that we are unable to take key learning and apply it forward. And this is a life lesson for you is to, again, okay, it is what it is. Let's make lemonade out of these lemons. And what's that positive kernel to take forward? That's wonderful. We had Shay Colsey on a recent podcast, and she talks about the triple obstacles of especially women with ADHD and women of color, of the racial aspect, the gender aspect, and then this neurodiversity aspect. Mm -hmm. And Shay talks about sort of this three obstacles. How can you add to that? Or what's your take on that? How do you see the unique obstacles facing communities of color with mental health and what you're trying to do? Sure. But first, let me say, I absolutely love Shay. Uh, she's a fantastic coach and a, a wonderful friend and gives me kernels all the time that I can use in my own life. So I really, really appreciate that and appreciate her. And we've had this conversation, she and I, and it is increasingly challenging. There's the problem that you have with dealing with bias. And then there's the added difficulty with experiencing the challenges associated with ADHD. I mean, there are tons of stats that show, okay, if you have ADHD, you may be more likely to have encounters with the criminal justice system. Well, look at social justice, look at black and brown people and how, and their experience with the criminal justice system and add ADHD to that. So it just kind of compounds a lot of challenges that particularly COVID-19 really uncovered with health disparities as well. Oftentimes a child may have ADHD, may be experiencing some type of comorbidity with ADHD, but that child can be criminalized much more easier. That child is suspended. That child is treated in a different way, is ostracized. And folks may not take that kind of additional time and really have that kind of compassion because often black and brown children are looked at and black women as being strong and not needing that type of compassion or not being worthy of that compassion. Mm. And when you have something like ADHD, you know, that just already exacerbates what, you know, black and brown communities have been experiencing anyway. Yeah, you talked about as a real compounder. And again, with ADHD, it's one of these things that it's like COVID itself in the sense that, well, I don't see it. It's not impacting me right now. Mm -hmm. Therefore, I question whether it exists or not. Mm -hmm. And then it goes back to where we started with our podcast today, this episode of this sort of filling in the blank. Well, it must be because of X, it must be because mm -hmm. of Y, of why they're not doing what I'm asking them to do. Right. And that's a dangerous road to go down, particularly if you're a black or brown person in our community, because there are all sorts of reasons. It's because you're not trustworthy or you're looking at all these negative images that people see. You're more likely to be a criminal. You're more likely to do all these other things. 
So it is very challenging. And one of the things that I'm trying to do, as well as Shay and some other coaches and other women of color and men of color as well, is to try to create like a coaching practice and to offer coaching to black and brown communities, and in my instance, parents, as a way to help them kind of manage their ADHD household, but in a way that is strengths-based and also utilizes their own parenting technique. Not necessarily just telling them do X, Y, and Z, but what do you see? What resonates with you? And let's work from there. But to really focus on every child, particularly black and brown children, need to hear that you're valued, you're worthy, you're loved. And that these messages should be the cornerstone of any parenting practice, regardless. Right. And back to what you were talking about, your mom instilling choice. Mm-hmm. in you is that this is instilling in a way bringing coaching to these communities and making your clients equal partners there's a choice element there too yes that they're part of the solution exactly and oftentimes i've been in these meetings with the 504 accommodations and iep accommodations or getting parents ready for these and you come in and there's the psychologist and then there's the PA. The principal who has a PhD and all these folks with all these different letters and using all this terminology. And then if you're a person of color, you may also come in and have this added bias so that you don't feel equal. You don't feel like you have a say. You don't feel like you're worthy of having a say. And in coaching, empowering parents, because they're already empowered, you already have it. You just have to acknowledge it and allow it to come out. And letting them know that when you go into these meetings and advocate for your children, just because you don't have a PhD and all these other letters doesn't mean that you don't know what's right for your child and doesn't mean that you are not advocating for your child. Even if you're not able to know comorbidity and DSM-4 and whatever types of terms that may be used, you know what your child needs and you can say it just as plain so they can understand it. I'm I'm sitting here in admiration because, you know, what I do is I coach leaders mm-hmm. and influencers. And you're that. You're an influencer. You're a leader. And I always wonder about what makes leaders tick, mm-hmm. right? What makes you get up in the morning and take a step forward in the direction that you want to take a step forward in? Because this feels a bit overwhelming to try to create change here. And yet you're undaunted, wanting to proceed. And we're going to make a change here. And can you speak to that? There's your ancestors, there's your mom, there's your optimism. But what compels Rashida to create change here on this bigger arena? I've always felt that if there's something that you don't like or something that you want to see change, you kind of have to do it. You have to be the change you want to see. And as a youngster, and this is probably really crazy, but As a youngster, I had an issue with bullies that would pick on other folks that they knew wouldn't fight them back. And I was a person that, I'm sorry, I didn't mind fighting. So I would go up to the person and say, I'll fight for you. And I would tell the other person, listen, you know she doesn't like to fight. Why don't you pick on me? I like to fight. So there's always this injustice that, you know, and I'm not sure where it comes. I just feel it viscerally. That when I see this kind of injustice, you know, I just and move to do something about it, you know, within my realm of influence and control. I mean, I understand that 
All of us have, you know, our areas that we have control of. And I try to operate within that. Well, it's working. (laughs) (laughs) I love that story too. Oh, I love that. I went to a Quaker school, so there was, there, there was we, ne- we never really we never there was no fighting. It no. was like you know some poking. <laughs> that was about it. I know. <laughs> yeah. So we talked before we got on the air last week. We talked about our talking points today, and you did mention that in your work in working with Asana, raising her, learning about ADHD, that you were on your own journey about that you identify with a lot of these elements of ADHD. And we're actually on your way to getting a diagnosis, but then COVID came along. Yeah. And and can you just, I so appreciate you sharing that because it's when people share that, yes, I identify with this brain chemistry, this this unique brain wiring, that is such a powerful model for others to follow their dreams, to... Mm-hmm take their value system and put it into play right around fairness and justice. And so I know you don't have a diagnosis. I can't welcome you to the club officially, (laughs) but you've identified with, and I guess I'm a little bit curious about like, can you say a little bit about your own journey there of identifying with these um, aspects of ADHD? Sure. And I think it it has to do with having friends that have ADHD and then working with parents and many parents who may not know that their child has ADHD. So there's a good chance they may have it and starting to see all these similarities. So I would kind of understand things that they would tell me and would, you know, identify with that and know that I had little kinds of tricks of the trade that I would do to help me with certain things. And then I started wondering, well, Rashida, maybe you should look into this yourself because a lot of things that I've seen her do, you know, you do, and you have ways that you've helped to manage it, but it might make good sense for you to go ahead and get a diagnosis. And then, as you said, COVID hit, and I wasn't able to do it. And I've often gone to those different um, websites, and I know they're not necessarily medical websites or that they're valid, right. um, but they'll say to me, hmm. If you have three or more of these, perhaps you <laughs> could go <laughs> and get evaluated. And then I'm like, hmm, maybe you should. So that was kind of my journey towards there. And I'm still on it because I still want to get it done once things once things open up. And I also appreciate, you know, particularly because I've had the uh, pleasure of being in a coaching class and have, having a coaching class taught by you. And I just really appreciate the way that you approach and talk to people about their ADHD and that it's not like a condemnation or a death sentence and let them know that you have a lot to offer and only thing you need to do and I can help you with this is just bring out things that you already know intrinsically that need to happen. So totally appreciate that approach and you know having that opportunity to see how you bring that out. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's one of those things, that, a funny thing that happens with folks with ADHD is they'll kind of like, okay, I've identified these deficits or challenges or what we call in the podcast, the level one symptoms. And then it's this, I have to zap these. First, I need to zap these challenges and that's going to correct things, number one. Or first, I got to do that. Then I'll go get into the strength areas. And so we have our list and it's like, 
address this weakness, address this weakness, address this weakness. And then, uh, you know, if I have time, I'll get to this strength area. Mm-hmm. And guess what? You know, we have ADHD. It's like we never get to that strength area because it's at the bottom of our list. Right. Well, so that can you share like a trick or like something? It is what it is, finding the beauty, being at choice. But like, what's one thing that like, because you kind of downplay who you are and what you've done. I mean, you've had years in in organizations as a leader, as an executive, and getting there. What can you tell our listeners who have ADHD who might be struggling a bit? Mm-hmm. Like, what is it that you're doing that's allowed you to pursue what you want to pursue and and have choice be mm-hmm. available to you, Rashida? That's changed throughout, I guess, my career. I started out being very kind of regimented because I would kind of get distracted and end up doing things that weren't on topic for what I might have been doing, particularly in a job. So I began having these to-do lists and I loved using the old Franklin Daily Planner. I think they merged and now it's Franklin Covey or something. Right. But that was like my main tool because it allowed me to identify those things that were important that I needed to do by prioritizing them one, two, and three identifying those things that I may be able to delegate or someone else could do, and then identifying those things that I didn't necessarily have to do today. And also in doing that, if I had meetings, I would schedule in time to prepare for that meeting so that I wasn't rushed when that meeting came along. Or if I had a meeting that was might have been off-site away from my office, I would schedule in that traveling time. Because before, if I didn't schedule in that traveling time, it could be five minutes up and the meeting could be 15 minutes away. So then I would always be late. So I became very, very regimented. And from having that kind of mindset, it kind of did wire me because I really believe that we rewire our brains with enough work. Now I don't have to be as regiment, regimented because I kind of build those things in automatically. Right. And around areas of interest that you really care about. Right. And Things that I don't care about, I don't do as well in. And I've just accepted that about myself. I used to really be upset that this other person may be great at that and thought that I needed to be great at everything. And I said, I don't, you know, and I'm going to be great at the things that are important to me and that I find of interest. Uh, and talking with my daughter, who's in college now, you know, I talked to her about, you know, as you get into your junior and senior year, you focus on things you like. And you take advantage of that hyper-focus because you're really learning things. You just get through, you know, these first two years where you have to do what they tell you to do. And as you get into your junior year, you start taking classes that are of interest to you. Because what's most important is for you to study something that you're interested in. Don't look at necessarily, you know, how much you're going to make when you come out or what other people say. It has to resonate with you. And once I learned that, I was much easier on myself for not excelling in other ways. That's lovely. We're going to go ahead and finish up. I want to finish up with a picture. You ready to play along? Sure. <laughs> this is not in my notes, by the way. It's just coming to okay. me. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, somewhere, just imagine a time in the future where you and Shay Romanza, your colleagues of color, are bringing coaching to your communities of color. And to speak to the change that's happening, 
I don't know if it's you know, a year, two years, five years, but sometime in the future where you're seeing and envisioning real positive change. Can you share that picture with me as we finish out today, Rashida? Sure, I will. And I see this picture being something that's, you know, attainable. And I think it's coaching is a good way to talk to black and brown communities and black and brown individuals, because oftentimes things like therapy may not be as attractive, but something where you are part of this discussion, I think can be more attractive. So the way I see it is our having a practice, you know, Romanza, Shay, me, maybe Karen and other folks who have their different expertise and coming, someone coming into our office or contacting us. And we know we have our different expertise and they could come in. And if they need financial coaching, you know, they can talk to Karen. If they need executive coaching, ADHD coaching, they can talk to Shay. They could talk to Romanza. If they're interested in parent coaching, they could talk to me. But also just want these folks walking out with a sense of empowerment with the skills that they have and to know that these things were already in you. We just help bring them out. And I think so often because of the negative messages that Black and Brown communities always get, it's a real difficulty to connect with that inner strength you have inside because everything tells you that you don't have it. And that if you do, you probably shouldn't listen to it because it's wrong. So we just want to be able to bring that out so that after you have, you know, experiences with us, you can go ahead and you won't ever have to be detached from that inner knowing and that inner power that you have. Love that. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I've really enjoyed this. And thank you so much for, I've learned more about you. (laughs) (laughs) I know that if I get in a fight, I know where to go. <laughs> you can fight my friend Rashida because I'm pick. one of those avoiders. I like oh, I'm in my house. We have chickens, and I'm like I'm the I, I do the the frozen chicken thing. Like, ah! <laughs> so yeah, that was wonderful, Rashida. Thank you so much, and thanks for sharing about you, about raising your child, and the work that you've been doing, and how you're incorporating coaching into the work that you will be doing going forward. So yeah. thank you so much. It's been my pleasure and great to see you again. Yes. So listeners, we'll put Rashida's contact information in the program notes and we will keep having conversations uh, like the one I'm having with Rashida today on a quarterly basis. So we're trying to, to aim for, again, to elevate the work that is happening out in communities of color. And so thanks very much. 